0: Today, let's ask the question, are women as necessary to the body of Christ as men? And if we are, what does that mean for us as the hands and feet of Jesus? Today, I'm having a conversation with my friend, Kylie Logan, and we are discussing women, women in ministry, women in maybe leadership, women in different positions within the church. We talk about our personal opinions about it, but we really want this to be a jumping off point for you to see. Does God place as much value on women as he does men? Are they as necessary in the body of Christ? Where do we find that in scripture? And maybe some questions about egalitarianism and complementarianism that keeps coming up throughout our discussion. And we try to provide some resources for you to dig into that yourselves because we don't want to give you the answer, but instead encourage you to find it and dig deeply into scripture and use it as your ultimate authority on this issue. And we talk about a lot of different things within that context. We also talk about Kylie's personal journey as she has realized the value that Jesus has placed on women and how that's kind of transformed her relationship with Christ and so many other wonderful things that we discuss. We have a lot of virtual uh, little glitches here and there, but overall, we have a wonderful conversation. So here it is. Hey, how's it going? Great, how are you doing? I'm good, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little background?
1: Yeah, um, so my name is Kylie. I grew up in Utah. I relocated to Portland, Oregon about six and a half years ago. Um, I work at, crazy. What? sorry, what was that? That's crazy, it's been so long. I know, yeah. It. I feel like I've lived here forever, but also I'm like, how has it already been six and a half years? Um, I work at a church out here as communications manager. So I do like, um, live stream, website, social, all that fun stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. When you say
0: live stream, does that mean like you do live streams or like you live stream the service for people?
1: I live stream the service for people. I'm not, I'm not an influencer. Like, man, I need to get in on that. Kirby
0: Logan's doing live streams.
1: No. (laughs) That's Awesome.
0: Okay. So the question that we're looking at today is, are women as equally necessary to the gospel, sharing the gospel, the body of Christ? Um, Are they equally as necessary as men in those positions? Are they just as necessary in everyday ministry activities? Whether that means ministry as vocational ministry, whatever that looks like for you in your personal situation, is there a level of equality there? Which is super easy to just nail down real fast. So Whatever your opinion is on women's positions in the church, our goal today is not to tell you whether to be an egalitarian or a complementarian, or whether you should support women in pastoral or leadership, leadership positions, and I'm sure throughout this we'll share kind of our personal opinions on these subjects, but we're trying to say, despite whatever your feelings are on women in leadership or in pastoral positions, are they still as equally necessary in ministry, in the body of Christ, in sharing the gospel. So we'll start with, does scripture ever tell us that women aren't as important or necessary as men?
1: I think, um, I don't think there's like a clear black and white answer to that because I could name texts that have been pulled to support either answer and that kind of comes down to interpretation. So like there are passages that say like, women came from men, therefore, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then there are passages where Paul is talking about Phoebe, who's a deacon. Um, and so I feel like, yeah, I don't know if there's like a clear black and white like statement in this book that's like, yes, this, you know, like, this is what the answer is, but, um, yeah, I grew up uh, pretty complementarian, and as I've, like, grown the last few years, I just feel like what I've seen um, expressed in an actual, like, church body is that women are necessary. Um, I just think that, like, the differentiation between how God is typically gifted men versus women, I just feel like women bring something to the table, like, that's, like, very maternal, even as, like, spiritual mothers, not even necessarily, like, literal moms, um, that is needed to have, like, a flourishing, healthy, mature body. Yeah,
0: I would say I don't,
1: I feel nervous saying this because I feel
0: like I haven't made such a controversial statement yet but i would say i don't fully i wouldn't fully say i'm in the complementarian camp or the egalitarian camp which i know that makes some people a little nervous but i think that that aspect that you're talking about is really important that there are differences between men and women and there. i don't think they're often the differences that we think of like we take a lot of statistical averages of men and women and say like men are always tall well on average they're taller than women but not always i was just talking to mm-hmm. stephanie Cochran the other day about this um for one of these interviews but i think like what you're talking about bringing a nurturing kind of element to a church environment or just probably most churches are divided like half and half or at least they're going to have some women in them <laughs> so having some kind of influence for women whether that's informing the leadership or helping maybe in like a really complementarian setting, they're helping their husbands or uh, male leaders kind of just understand from a woman's perspective, maybe some issues that are being brought up. I think that's really important.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So I would say, I think that this question kind of makes us ask another question, which is to say, if you believe that women don't belong in leadership or in pastoral positions. Does that mean they're less necessary in any way? So the passages that would disqualify women, that that people who would believe they don't belong in leadership, I think it would be First Corinthians 11, First Corinthians 14, First Timothy 2. Uh, I feel like there might be one other, but those passages that would say I don't permit a woman, a man, sorry, I don't permit a woman to teach over a man or um, man is ahead of woman. Those kind of passages, which I super recommend that you dig deeply into those and use really good commentaries on those. And uh, it's a lot of good exegesis that we have to use for those passages. But I think that whatever you land on in that conversation, does that mean that people who aren't pastors or leaders or elders, are they less meaningful to ministry? Are they less meaningful to the gospel? I think they might have more responsibility, of course, or more more weight on their shoulders, I guess, in that sense. But I,
1: I think that kind of goes with that. Yeah, um, I guess to clarify, I don't know if it's like kosher in these kinds of conversations to be like, "This is exactly where I stand." But I'm, I would also uh, agree with you that I'm neither complementarian or egalitarian at this point. I'm kind of well <laughs> there's this position that's called mutualist like mutualist that I feel like currently I'm kind of like looking into um, anyway I can explain that later but so you were going back going back to what you're saying you were talking about these passages that people use to disqualify women from higher spaces of leadership such as pastoral eldership teaching etc Um, And yeah, like you were saying, I think that it requires some careful exegesis for sure, uh, because there are other passages in scripture that would actually undermine what those are saying, written also by Paul. Um, So like, for example, Romans 16, verse one starts out, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church um in a city I can't pronounce <laughs> I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people to give her any help she may need from you for she has been the benefactor of many people including me and then he goes on to say greet Priscilla another woman and Aquila my co-workers in Christ so he calls Priscilla a co-worker um for the gospel and they ris- they risked their lives for me and then he names several other women um, throughout Romans 16 um, it's basically just a long list of men and women who he's co-labored with um, and then uh, Roman or sorry Philippians 4 2 he also says I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the lord yes and i ask you my true companion to help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life so he again is highlighting these women who are co-laborers in the cause of the gospel um so i feel like it's not clear in scripture you know like i feel like you have these passages where Paul is saying one thing and where Paul is saying something else. And you could really build a case for either side, which a lot of people have. Um, Yeah, it's so
0: complicated. And so I think it's really fascinating. I know this is like a deal breaker for some people. For me, it's not, which again, I feel like so hesitant to make these statements, but it's, there's a lot to it because the Pauline passages make Paul seem super complementarian in some and then super some people would say egalitarian or like you said maybe more less like mutualist or not totally on the complete male leadership in churches it's it's complicated and it's like there's so many resources on these topics that a lot of really smart christians have disagreed with on for like centuries it's i think that that's kind of where i we, we are kind of talking about complementarianism and egalitarianism. I think that that's maybe where I get hung up on a little bit is I think that Phoebe being a deacon or deaconess doesn't necessarily mean that she, I know people have made the argument that like, well, she probably delivered the letter and she probably was the one who like physically was speaking the letter to the people at that church. Um, I feel like that might be reading into it a little bit for myself I I am totally open to hearing more arguments on both sides um, I just heard I need to look up who it was it was Preston sprinkle and a complimentary and we're discussing this topic the other day and he made some really good points on it but I just feel like it does it's not the the sealer for me it's not like this totally confirms that women can be in pastoral leadership but I think it makes a good point, like you're saying, even if you decide that that's not what you believe, then there's still a great case that women were totally necessary in the work that Paul was doing and the work that the early church was doing. They were seen as equals. We see Priscilla and her husband, Aquila. Um, Priscilla's name was mentioned first, which has some meaning to it and some weight to it. And then later we hear about Junia, who was considered highly among the apostles. Some people think that means she was considered an apostle. Some people believe that means She may have just been uh, thought of really highly by the apostles. Um, But I think any way that you look at those passages, and I think it's important to nail down what you believe, because I do think that will inform your decisions and how you show up in the body of Christ. But I think in this case, whatever you land on, we still see the necessity of women in the movement of the church, the early church, the body of Christ, sharing of the gospel.
1: Absolutely. Um... Speaking of that, like, that even brings to mind um, how after the resurrection, the first people at the empty tomb were women, and they were the first people to go out and share about the resurrection, Um, and I don't feel like anything (laughs) around the resurrection or, like, the death of Jesus was coincidental. I feel like it was all very, like, God-orchestrated, and so I think that it should be Significant that women were the first to like, you know, beat the resurrection and to share that with the world because that's from there. That's the starting point, you know, of like the gospel.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 2018, I think, is where Mary Magdalene tells the other disciples what that he has been raised from the dead. She tells them what she's seen. Um, That interview is called. uh, It's episode 948 of theology raw with Dr. Tom Schreiner. but yeah, I think that that's also a a good point to make. So again, please do your own research and really research this topic. I know a lot of complementarians feel like there's not a strong argument on the other side and vice versa, but I think it's, if you, uh, Preston's Wrinkle also said this the other day, I really like his stuff. He said, if you want to disagree with something, you have to know the other side, which I think is really valid. If Mm -hmm. If you want to make your case stronger, I think it Begs the question well what is the point of the other side what is the information that they're bringing to the table and the evidence and what are their strong arguments or what are they not and then I think it can only strengthen your own belief so do your own research on these topics but I think that we can pretty much establish a pretty strong foundation that women are necessary and women have the permission from God and also um, I don't like to use the word calling but I I don't know what else to call it maybe like the calling from god or the some people like to say the anointing on their lives or god is prompting them to share the gospel and that's the godly and righteous thing to do because there isn't any specification in the passages that we see about sharing the gospel that only men can do it so i think that that tells us there is an equality there um john four the samaritan woman teaches their whole town about jesus and shares the gospel with them and Like you said, um, Mary Magdalene, the other women who were there at the tomb. I think in the Old Testament, it's interesting because there were quite a few women who were prophets. Miriam in Exodus Exodus 15 uh, is named as a prophet. Deborah was the prophet of Israel and also the judge of Israel. Holda, which is a really interesting story. Holda was the prophet to King Josiah's men. And that was in 2 Kings 22. There's Anna and Luke 2, who's giving a prophecy about Jesus to Mary and Joseph. So I think if we look at female prophets, again, you could say, well, they're not in leadership, they're not in a leadership position, they're just sharing the words of God with the people. But still, there's some some level of authority there that God has chosen these women to share his words with his people, and also that um, they're not disqualified just because they're female. And also, Deborah is a complicated figure when we talk about this issue. And when we look at women in leadership and those kinds of things, because you could still make the case for either side that, yes, she was a strong leader and she was in an authoritative position and she was ahead of men. And then you could also make the case that, well, she was a prophet and she was the judge of Israel, but that doesn't necessarily mean she was an authority in these ways. Um, but either way, we see that God called this woman. So I think also we have to ask if men were in a position that they were under another man in authority like just they weren't a pastor or they were just a lay person in the church or just under another person's authority does that make them any less valuable or have any less value as a person and i think we easily established that the answer would be no so obviously the same would apply to women then in that case that a leader can have more of that authority and responsibility but that doesn't mean that they're more valuable. And I know when we talk about value and equality, and you had brought this up in your notes before when we were chatting about this conversation, Galatians uh, 3.23. And I think when I read that passage, I see that that verse seems to be more oriented towards salvation. Like uh, neither uh, Greek nor Jew, male nor female, slave or free person, anyone can accept the gospel. They're all equal you're all people in the eyes of God, you all have equal value. But I think that even if that is oriented towards salvation, then it still is applicable to the situation that there is no hierarchy in the sense of value within the body of Christ.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, First Corinthians, I believe it's 12, yeah, 12, 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but many. Um, which is interesting because, yeah, 1 Corinthians 12 comes right after 1 Corinthians 11, which is the infamous uh, head coverings passage. Yeah. And then you even get um, another part in the same book where he's telling women to prophesy. But that's another that's aside from the question you asked. But
0: I think that's good a good point to look at because, again, I don't want to tell you which page to land on, but he doesn't specify when he mentions the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 that some are for men or some are for women. Right. And also the rest of that passage is like the body needs each other. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, so on and so forth. Everybody in the body needs each other. And again, there's no specification of gender within that passage. It's that everybody is in this total necessity to each other in the body of Christ.
1: Right. I see commands all over scripture to share the gospel and to bring the good news. And I feel like if you're a recipient of that good news, then you have an obligation to share it. And I don't think that there's like a specification. And I don't think it's like gatekept of like, oh, you've received the gospel, but you can't share it. So I think that, yeah, as far as like, sharing the gospel, that's definitely um, for everyone. And then, um, oh my gosh, I just lost my train of thought. Your original, oh, value, value and worth. I think, yeah, I think the question of value and worth should shouldn't have to be argued as like a as like a human being having value i think that like the imago day is a strong enough argument to, to cover that as every person is made in the image of god but i think the where you can nuance and debate or discuss is um authority yes and yeah. i think
0: that's where there's so many different people even within the conservative really, really fundamentalist conservative side of this camp, there's a lot of disagreement about this. I heard um, a quote from a pastor, I don't want to say who it is, but he was saying that women shouldn't even give any kind of inclination that they have more authority than man. So, If a man asks a woman for directions, she shouldn't be too authoritative in the way that she gives those directions, which I think is a really, really, uh, I don't know, just really bad manipulation of scripture. And I want to be fair, too, to the very conservative, fundamentalist side of this conversation. So if you believed that women have no place outside of the home, we had a teacher, both of us had a teacher who uh, felt that women had, I think that he, the verbiage that he used was women don't have callings. Is that kind of, do you remember?
1: I think it, this moment very much stands out to me. So I almost feel like I verbatim remember he said, I don't believe that women have callings from God. Their calling is to help their husband with their callings um it was just like a little cute little tack on to like a teaching that had nothing to do with that
0: So <laughs> even if that's <laughs> where i would land but even if that's where you landed although i do believe women as as husbands and wives as ephesians tells us that we are in first Timothy and 2 Timothy that we have a duty to each other and a responsibility to each other and first Corinthians 7 to each other to help each other throughout our lives and like be uh, be servants for one another. I do believe that it's for both husbands and wives for each other in whatever ministry God calls them to. But if you landed in this really conservative side, I think even if you said women absolutely belong in the home, your duty is only to serve your husband and have children and nothing outside of that, then I think still we could make a strong argument to say that that's still very necessary because there are women who wouldn't even land in that very conservative camp who are just like the calling. I don't like that word, but the, it just seems so broad, but what God has asked them to do with their lives, what God has instructed them to do and what they've decided to do with their lives is to raise their children, to be stay-at-home moms, uh, maybe stay-at-home wives even, and run businesses from their home or whatever that looks like. And I don't think that we have to discredit that at all. If that's what God has asked you to do with your life, that's absolutely a a necessity to the whole body, because you're Mm -hmm. raising children in the way that God has instructed you to raise them and to bring them up, and also you're contributing to the body of Christ in what you contribute to your husband and your children. Um... I think there's so many elements to that. And like you said, just bringing like a nurturing presence into church serving in, if if your church only lets you serve in nursery or children's ministry, that still is very valuable. And we need women and men to be a part of that because it's essential, I think, to the body of Christ, to the church, to a healthy church to have those parts. It's just the disagreement about, is that the only thing that women can do or should do, or is there more to it? But I I think even in that viewpoint there's still equality
1: absolutely like you look at scripture and jesus has a very high view of children like he is like kind of reprimanding people that are like get rid of these kids like they're annoying and they're in the way and jesus is like no let the kids come to me the kingdom of belong the kingdom belongs to such as these and time and time again we're called to like be like a child um, in our faith in a way that we're just like able to receive from the father freely um but yeah going back to what you said about like i don't know this might be like a hot button to hit too but like when we we're quoting that teacher about uh women women's calling is to help their husband with their calling i feel like from what i read about marriage and scripture that feels like a really low view of marriage to me um because like we we get hung up on like that part and I'm forgetting exactly where I was just reading the other day women are called to submit to their husbands but what we what we don't emphasize is that men are called to love their wives in the same way that Christ loves us, the church and he died for us so women women are called to submit but men are basically called to die. so I feel like we have the easier, call out in that passage um and there's like a lot of
0: this is such a complicated topic not yeah. not women being a part of the gospel but when we look at like women leadership and authority and things like that it's so complicated because even within really egalitarian circles there are people that would still argue that men should be the head of women which i think is where i, land. I think based on scripture it's just the exegesis that i Can see so far so it's like we just have to be really careful when we look at these issues okay man is the head of woman in this marital context which is i think an important element because some people want to say that applies across the board men are just the head of all women everywhere even if you're unmarried and you you know i think we have to be careful with that how we apply that but also how we look at that like you're saying okay so he's the head of a woman so what does that actually mean practically What does that look like inside of a marriage? Does that mean that he's a tyrannical leader who just gets to decide whatever he wants and you can't correct your husband's directions when you're driving in the car? Or does that mean (laughs) something else? You know, what does that actually look like? And as we have this picture of Christ and the body of Christ in this marriage relationship, I think that gives us a pretty good idea.
1: Right. Because, like, even as somebody who is part of the bride of Christ, even looking at how like we're you know discipled into into like our faith I feel like it's very much a partnership like we don't just like sit here and we're like all right Jesus you do everything like you tell me what to do it's like if I if I feel like I want to like do something good for that builds up the kingdom of God I don't feel like Jesus is up here being like "Mm." I actually didn't tell you to like go go feed that hungry person like sorry that's not you know that's not okay I feel like it's very much like a collaborative like obviously I'm submitting to like Jesus's authority but like I feel like he gives me room to like like I'm a creative and I feel like a lot of the art that I make is um I guess like faith-based quote-unquote or like it's for, like, the glory of God, and I don't feel like Jesus, like, okay, now move your pen slightly to the right, you know, it's like, you know, there's some collaboration there, and I feel like having a view of, like, men and women, at least in the context of marriage, that reflects Christ in the church, I feel like there's way more, more freedom in that when you read the scripture of how Jesus interacts with the church. Yeah. So
0: good. That's so true. It's it's also, I think we have to look at if we're talking about submission and those things in Ephesians, submit to one another. It's such a complicated topic. So I think that's why it's important to us to have a good understanding of like Christ's relationship with the with the church, with the bride of Christ. Just in general, exemplifying Christ with our lives and following his example because the point I want to make is that wherever you decide to land at the end of the day on these topics or what you view of women in leadership positions, it doesn't mean that we have to diminish or belittle one gender or another. And so I think within complementarianism where it's hard because sometimes the arguments that people want to make or the scripture that they're using it seems so manipulated to make women seem subordinate and less valuable as people and less of image bearers of God. And I I think you can be the most dogmatic complementarian and you don't have to do that because it's not scriptural. And so I think we just have to be really careful when we're examining these passages. And it's hard to come to this conversation because we want to make everything fit into our viewpoint. And so if we are complementarians, we want to look at it like with this lens of everything has to fit into the box that I want to put it in. And egalitarians do the same thing. I want this to mean what I want it to mean. So maybe I'll kind of make some stuff up here or fluff it up here, which I'm not saying that's what all egalitarians do. But just in general, when we look at the Bible, even when we're not looking at issues of women, I think that's what we want to do. We want to make it fit our liberal view, our conservative view. And the way that we fix that is not making more conservative people liberal or making more egalitarians complementarian, but understanding scripture deeply. And to do that and to understand these passages in context, I think we need to get a deep understanding of the whole Bible because it's not just the specific verse or the specific chapter, but it's the whole book. It's the whole Testament. It's the whole entire Bible together. And so I think we have to look at this overarching picture of how does God view women? How does God view women? in the ways that he's called them, and is there equality there? And I think, as we've kind of established, there's a really strong case that yes, there is. There's this really good book by David E. Lamb called Polygamists and Prostitutes, which sounds scandalous, but it's a really good book. I so recommend it. He does a fantastic job. It's funny, but in like an appropriate way kind of, because it's topics about prostitutes and polygamous in the Old Testament, but he explains these really complicated marriage relationships and relationships specifically with women and God's relationship with women in the Old Testament, and he does a really good job of explaining Genesis 2 and, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 even, explaining God's creation of man, and he understands Hebrew and is a scholar in that way a lot more um, than a lot of other authors that I've read that have tried to explain these passages so I think having that background really helps um, that's a really good really good resource to look at when you look at headship and quality and all these
1: topics yeah that's amazing I need to check that out I wrote it down um I feel like yeah what you said about like you have to look at all of scripture it's like this is like you know, God's storybook test, which is, like, you know, cheesy, but it's true, and it's, like, you have to look at the entire arc and the entire narrative of scripture. You can't just cherry-pick passages, which I know both sides of, like, the argument tend to do at their most extreme points, but, like, something that I, like, grew up with was that, you know, this book is, like, super clear, and if it says it, that, you know, that settles it, and, like, I feel like that that's so unhealthy because we're we're looking at translations of the text and then these books in the bible were written in a time and a place for specific people who are in a specific situation and if we don't take the time to look at it we're gonna like misapply things to our to our like 21st century american view and that happens all the time and so I think it really does take a lot of work a lot of time and a lot of wrestling to parse out what is this actually saying and a lot of times you can't just take something at face value and take it literally you have to like parse out like okay what was the principle behind this given now that I know that Paul was writing to this church that was struggling with this sin, he's not saying this command for all believers for all times, or like, you know, whatever it is, um, yeah, I just feel like having Bible interpretation is really important when reading the scriptures and making really definitive (laughs) statements about things, um, that's i mean that's the big debate is the hermeneutics
0: on those passages like
1: right it comes down to how do we translate these passages or not translate but uh interpret these passages so and
0: on that note i think it's good to the first video that i made like in the series was about bible translations because when we're looking at bible translations we have to understand that at some point well it depends on what you're looking at is it a word-for-word translation is it a thought-for-thought translation especially with thought-for-thought translations we have to understand that there were people usually a, a, a huge team of scholars and people that were translating this but there are people who are translating it so they're putting in some of their own ide- ideologies maybe or like choosing to translate this word in this way when it could have been translated in this way so I think we have to be careful with what what we're looking at and really take the time I think if you're able to we should all be learning Greek, man. That's. I really feel like that would help us out a lot. I just started on that process and it is wild, but also I feel like if I can start this, literally anyone can. And along with your thought, you should really, like, this is going to take work to dig deeply into the Bible, but also like, I feel like if I can do it, anyone can. Not that I'm like a scholar now, but like if you can open a book, you can do it. If you can just use your laptop and use like the library of resources available to us today in 2022 for free, all around the world, then you can do this. It's not yeah. It's not crazy. You don't need a degree um to to understand some of these basic principles of just like historical culture that give us a really good reference for what was happening. Like with head coverings, we were talking about that before this recording started. There's a lot that has Gone into our process of not wearing head coverings anymore and a lot of it was cultural and that's where most scholars and pastors and leaders will land Mm because that was a cultural moment which is why paul instructed women to wear head coverings in church and when they're prophesying and so it's really important to have a correct lens of that and i feel like robot vacuum just started hold on (laughs) make it a couple loops anyways so I think that um, I think it's really important to take a look for a good cultural lens, a good historical lens, and if you have access to Encyclopedia Britannica, man, you can start there. I don't. I think people get overwhelmed that they have to be like NT right, and they have to know seventy years worth of theology and history and pastoral teachings and you don't have to you should know what you're talking about if you're going to teach other people and you're going to lead other people but I think for yourself it's it's really easy to start diving into these things and I think at least for me and a lot of people that I've talked to once you do it's really fascinating it's actually really interesting especially like first century Rome that is some wild stuff wild history wild culture it's really interesting
1: yeah I, so I live in Portland, Oregon, and I feel like there's so many parallels with Roman culture in Portland, but anyway, um, yeah, and this isn't an ad at all, but I feel like probably one of the best user-friendly resources that I've found on, like, Bible study is the Bible Project, um, it's actually based out of Portland, um, Tim Mackey heads up the Bible Project, and he is a Hebrew scholar, like, he, especially if you're wrestling with like old testament passages he's your guy um but they've actually gone through and done their the videos are anywhere from like three to 15 minutes like it's not a lot of your time but they've gone through and explained every single book of the bible um like what the book's about who it was written to why it was written and just even like watching one of those before you start reading i feel like the text just like comes alive and they also do like topical videos and like podcasts. So I would highly recommend the Bible project. Also Lagos Bible software is really great, um, for a study tool.
0: I always recommend Bible gateway, which I think it's $3.99 a month. It's super cheap and it gives you, I don't know, it's like 20 to 30 different commentaries on a passage. So you have you can pull up the scripture passage right here. I think they have an app for your phone too. And then on the other side, you can just look at like a variety of commentaries, study Bibles. Also, there's some books, I think a couple books, like different characters in the Bible, hard questions of the Bible or something like that. So you can pull it up like side by side, which I love to do, especially on conversations like this, because it helps to look at a lot of perspectives. And I know that a lot of people would not consider this an issue that they would be willing to compromise on. Like they wouldn't be willing to be in community with an egalitarian if they were complementary, or maybe vice versa. But I think there's a lot of other issues that we kind of do that in that are similar. Like I used this example the other day that sometimes we are in community with Calvinists and we're Molinists, or we're just not Calvinists or Armenian in our beliefs, or something like that. And or the way that we think about baptism because it's there are a lot of issues that aren't super clearly spelled out. There are a lot of pillars of our faith that are indisputable that we need to hold up our faith if we believe that it's true. And there's also a lot that we have been debating about as Christians for centuries. And we probably won't stop until Jesus comes back. And some people would say this is not an issue. This is absolutely a pillar. This is not disputable. We can't compromise on this. But for me, it's something that I can. And so Uh, I don't want to compromise on my beliefs, but hear other people's perspectives and try to understand without filters, what does the Bible actually say about this? So I think, especially in those contexts, it's good to get a historical perspective, read MacArthur and read N.T. Wright and read Piper and read, you know, and whoever you can about this passage and get like just a wide range of opinions because that's what they are, their opinions. You can think the world of these scholars who have great insight and have spent their lives studying Hebrew and Greek and the New Testament and they know what they're talking about but there's we're still people and so we have to use the bible as our ultimate authority and that's that's where we have to really spend the time to dig deeply
1: into it yeah i feel like two thoughts that i had while you were talking is like yes like do all the research listen to all the sides another thing super basic just like when you are going into scripture or studying this topic or any topic really when you're looking at anything invite the holy spirit to inform your reading and to inform your study like ask him to like give you his eyes and his heart for what you're looking at like it feels very basic but i feel like if you do that every time like i feel like he'll grow you and not that that means your opinion gonna you know be better than someone else that hasn't done that but like I think that that's, like, something we take for granted a lot. Yeah. And then also what you were saying is, like, this is a hill that a lot of people would die on. But something that I heard, uh, have heard around is, like, there are four four Ds. We love a good alliteration or whatever that's called at church. But it's uh, the categories that you put different theological issues. Um, So first you have die for. And I would say that for me and for a lot of people, I feel like you should keep that category as small as you can, but what's in it, you know, like you don't touch it. So that would be like the cross, the resurrection, the Trinity, basically the Nicene Creed. Um, Mm -hmm. Two would be divide for. So like these are issues that I won't, you know, I'm not going to die on that hill, but It's probably best if we don't do church together. If you think that that like, and that should also be kept really small. Like we're talking, if we're looking at a Venn diagram, it's like a pin prick for die for, and then like tiny little halo around that for divide for. And then you've got debate for and decide for. And so yeah, depending on who you are, I feel like this conversation we're having should live in one of these two categories, depending on who you are. I can see it going either way. It sounds like you're more in like the debate and the decide kind of like realm. I might be dancing around more in like the the, the divide in the debate. Yeah. But um as somebody who's a woman that like works in ministry, I feel like yeah. Anyway all that to say, those four categories are really helpful. Try and keep things okay. out of diet diet, and divide. I
0: like that a lot. That's so yeah. good. Do you know who, who wrote that or whose message that was?
1: I don't know who um, came up with that originally, but the first person that introduced it to me was Evan Wickham. He pastors at Park Hill in San Diego, um, and then I've, I've heard it around a few times since then.
0: Great. Right. I, I pulled up that verse, I think, at, not a verse, but what you were talking about having the Holy Spirit lead you, First Corinthians 2, um, 10 through 12. Actually, the whole the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 2 really gives us insight. My oh, puppy just jumped up. Um gives us insight on why we need the Holy Spirit to read the Bible, and we need the Holy Spirit to inform us, because it says no one can know a person except their own spirit, and no one can know God except his own spirit. And so I think that's crucial because we can use all the resources of the world because we basically have them available to us on our fingertips but what's different about the bible is we have it's living and active and also the holy spirit of god lives inside of us and can guide us as we read it and it's that's a weird mystery of our faith that we can all be praying to the same god and we can be reading the same book and land on different pages and so i think it's important that we when we come to this, which is hard, it's so hard sometimes, but to pray that God will reveal our intentions to us and remove just like our biases and our things that we want for us to be true and just reveal the truth of scripture to us and and just help us navigate these relationships when we don't land on the same page. Because we can see that, hey, we're all equal. We all belong in this church. We are all necessary to the body of Christ. It's not that we only need men, or we only need leaders, or we only need pastors. We need every single part of the body that works together. That was something I learned a lot when I was an intern. I was an intern at a really big church in Southern California, and I had a, I mean, really, I don't like to say small roles or big roles, but it was like a very minor, like, behind-the-scenes role, but it helped me understand this concept of First Corinthians 12 and just, like, the necessity of everyone that we even if you're just like stapling papers and putting stamps on envelopes, that's still a necessary part of the work of the ministry that you're doing or the work of the specific ministry within the church. And so I think that we have to be really careful where where we put our values on specific positions and ask ourselves, why am I putting this specific value on this position? Is it because pastors get more attention? Is it because they stand on the stage for an hour on Sundays in front of the congregation or why why am I putting value on this? And does God put the same
1: value on this? Right. Like, yeah, you touched on that. Um, what is my motivation? And I feel like, yeah, like I would, you know, we can hear God's voice today. And I think if like the Lord is calling, if you're like a woman and you feel like the Lord is calling you to a ministry, like pray about it, have people speak into that and, you know, like give weight to that. But if you're just like I feel like women should be able to do this because men do it and you're like trying to make a way for yourself. Like, you know, that's not it either. Um, but yeah, like also a point that I wanted to bring up is like, um, God throughout scripture deals with people where they are in their cultural context. So like in the old Testament there, God is giving like you know, rules or laws about multiple wives. And that doesn't mean that God condones polygamy, but that means that's where humanity was at, at that point in time. And he's giving people a framework to like, do that the best they can, because he is so gracious with us. And so like, even in like the Old Testament, you see Paul giving commands to masters of how to treat their slaves well, which is, like, unheard of because slaves were treated horribly, and um, the entire book of Philemon is, you know, Paul being like, hey, when, when Onesimus gets back, he's a free person, you know, and he's, like, writing this to his master, and so a lot of people use the Bible to condone slavery because you see it in scripture, but when you look at the philosophy that you can like draw from these passages or like what is God's heart toward the slave you know like clearly now as a humanity not every country but like at least in America we're like oh yeah slavery is bad but there was a time where people were using scripture to like condone slavery and so I feel like also just looking at like okay how am I reading my culture into the text Mm. but where does God want me want to meet me in my culture right now? And what is he, how is he asking me to interact with my culture? And so I feel like those are also important principles when you're talking about like women, like how, how the Bible talks about women isn't necessarily, which this might sound so heretical, but like giving the context of what I just said, how the Bible talks about women in certain places isn't necessarily like God's overarching heart for women you know like he's meeting people where they're at in their patriarchal culture and giving them tools to work with but when you look at the arc of scripture you see God calling women forward in a way that's way ahead of where their culture is so now looking at our culture we have these you know movements of like feminism that's like sometimes I would argue too far and like I see on social media all the time people being like men are trash and like all this stuff and it's like no that's not it either you know and so like anyway I'm going on a tangent now.
0: No I like it I to your point I think yeah we we don't know how to fix things other than like well this didn't work so let's go super hard the other way and we're totally all in on feminism and we're totally all in on this. And we have to use scripture. If we're people that are saying that we follow Jesus and we're following the instructions of the Bible, we have to know scripture and we have to actually follow it and use that as our guide and the Holy Spirit of God and the example of Jesus. I think um, what is so great about that book I was talking about by David E. Lamb is he really dives into a lot of the weird things about polygamy and like Dinah and Rahab, and just some crazy stories in the Bible that seem like, what is happening here? (laughs) What This is, first of all, bizarre, but also it just seems like God doesn't care about women or he's not present, but he gives so much good insight into understanding that a lot of these laws regarding polygamy, it was like, this is happening and we want to protect these women. And it seems weird to us because we don't understand the Middle East thousands and thousands of years ago, because that's just not our life now. We are so far removed from that. And we live in a really specific culture in America and a really specific culture surrounding love, which has transformed in America in the past hundred years.
1: Right. Like our idolization of romance. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And idolization of marriage. Yes. And so it's the reason that we have to look at it is because it's so complicated and we really have to pay attention and remove our, our own desires from it because we can see, I think we've seen really well the past couple of years, how anybody on any issue can make the Bible, like, try to manipulate it and stuff it into their own box to fit their desires and their, whatever, political, uh, the political party or what they want for their church or for America. It's easy to do that if we're not understanding scripture
1: in its entirety. Right. Like, going back to what you're saying about the, the polygamists and, like, the laws that were given... It was like, oh, God was protecting women. So from that, we should pull God protects women. Like, that's his heart towards women, not like, oh, I can be a polygamist. And I feel like it's easy. That's like an easy example because polygamy is far removed from most of our culture. But, you know, in the, the New Testament, I feel like we're, a lot of Christians are so quick to literally pull everything out of it and be like, okay, this is what it is. And it's like, well, um... We really need to look at what was going on here. Why was Paul writing this? Who was he writing it to? What was going on? And what is God's heart in the midst of that? Not, this is a command for all believers at all times.
0: My. This is what has gotten me onto this. Just asking questions about, I probably land in a... I feel so nervous saying this. This whole conversation is making me... My arm gets <laughs> Don't be nervous. Oh my goodness. So I would probably land... On a more conservative side of the spectrum of women in leadership, but I still, I, not in a lot of places that other people would though, and I still am just not sold. And the reason is for that reason that we look at passages like, what is it, First Timothy, First Timothy or Second Timothy, where Paul says, don't adorn yourself with gold clothing or gold earrings or jewelry or fine clothing or whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: I don't remember which Timothy, Timothy four?
0: Second Timothy, 4? Um, but what bothers me is that I looked at passages like that, or passages like women wearing cut head coverings and men not wearing head coverings and things like that. And it bothered me that this passage we're going to really dig deeply into and prove why it doesn't apply to us today. Like, Paul was really writing to a specific group of women and saying, Don't wear. Your hair in braids and don't wear jewelry because we can look at the cultural context and say oh maybe it was because there were women who uh the head covering situation maybe it was because of women who were prostitutes and they left their hair uncovered or because there were women who were trying to show off their fine jewelry in church and they were using it as a competitive situation but we don't do that to every passage and that bothers me and i really want to know if i really believe this and it's going to guide and direct my life, but also how I show up in church and how the body of Christ shows up for people who are non-believers, then we should really know why we believe it. So it's not because I want to like I at least my goal is not to manipulate the Bible to believe what I want it to believe, but to actually just what is it really saying? What is it really saying to us? Why are we only like picking out the passages that we want to deep dive into? We're not doing that to all of them across the board. And there's some really solid arguments on both sides of that aisle that would say women should or shouldn't be in leadership. And I think until there's really clear, maybe it's just because I'm not a great biblical scholar at this point in my life, but until there's just something really clear for me to grasp onto and understand, it's hard for me to completely say I belong to this side or this side.
1: Yeah, I think that's healthy, though. I think that everyone should hold some sort of, like, tension or nuance, especially with these bigger, less clear topics. Like, I think that, like, in the stream of Christianity that we were both raised in, I feel like it's almost, no, it is condemned to, like, have (laughs) questions or to not have a stance on something, and I think that, like, it's actually healthier when we hold things open-handedly, because we're not God. We're subject to human, Opinions in our flesh, and like other people's opinions that are also born out of the flesh. And I think that, like, if we're gripping onto things that we don't even, then we don't even allow God to change our hearts or to change our minds about things. And I think that having our hands open and holding different tensions, like, I feel like so many things when are like healthy as being a or like a tightrope, like it's both and kind of thing in, in the Christian faith, and I think that like um, nuance is also healthy. I feel like humans are complex, and the Bible is complex, and the way that God deals with us takes into account those complexities, and so I think that we should too, and I think that the tendency is to want to gravitate to one view or the other out of fear, mm-hmm. and I think when we get into these rigid like black and white either or thinking patterns especially with theology it's a need for control and it's based out of fear and I don't think that that is from the spirit the spirit is gives us a spirit of love and not fear and so I think that like having this like I haven't really landed super heavy in one camp or the other I think that that's healthy and necessary yeah I think
0: that's a really good a really good point that you're making, and there's so many issues that we just we will never agree on. And it's like we probably won't agree with your own pastor on every issue. You probably won't agree with your own spouse or your parents on a lot of these issues because there's so much packed into the Bible. And it's I don't want to make it sound like Scripture is not trustworthy or authoritative. We know that it is. Second Timothy three sixteen tells us. Hebrews four twelve tells us that. It's absolutely trustworthy and it should be the final authority of our lives. But there's just a like, if we're being completely honest, there's a lot of question marks. There's things that we will not know. And it's scary for people not to know, I think, especially coming from a background maybe where, like I would say my background, it was okay to ask questions about apologetics maybe, but not about a subject like this, not questioning, marital roles or women in ministry or things like that. It was really specific what you could or could not maybe dive into as much or just would be encouraged. It wasn't, we didn't have a very uh, dogmatic system in that way, which I'm grateful for. But I just think that we have to be careful not to make our opinions or just our best guesses about what's happening in the Bible absolute fact and gospel truth and then condemn people that they don't believe that the earth was created in seven literal days just like us or wasn't you know what I mean so you have to it's like just a fine line that you have to say yes I, I absolutely believe this and this is gonna I'm basing my ethics and my marriage and my whole life on this book but there's some things that I just can't know for sure
1: absolutely like yeah that's the other thing too is like you use the word dogma, it's, like, I feel like so often, I mean, I guess this is a much bigger conversation, but there's so many divisions in the American church right now over all these things, and it's, like, I feel like this is one of, probably one of those topics, and it's, like, okay, well, we have one spirit, so, like, like, we can't make this an end-all be-all for us either, and it's, like, we don't know, like, at the end of the day, this might be my conviction, but have to be open to being wrong right and And people who have different convictions yeah and
0: it's i think it's romans 16 or 18 i should look that up as well but where paul is talking about having these differences within the church and it's talking about with jews and gentiles and these it seems like a lot of conflicts because of the way that their culture Has raised them, the way that they've approached religion before. And so for some believers, there's going to be things that are an issue, but don't let it be the division in the body of Christ. There are issues to divide over, and these are not issues to divide over. And I think you just have to really pray and really read your Bible and spend time with God to decide if this is an issue for you that's that big, like in that category, like you said, that you're going to die over it or divide over it and ask the Lord to guide you. In that direction and and we all need to come to scripture on any topic with a heart of saying please please remove my opinions and my biases and my desires, and just give me what the word says and what does that mean for my life and that verse that I was uh referring to earlier is 1st Timothy 2 8 through 15 where Paul's talking about women should be modest in their appearance and they shouldn't draw attention to themselves with jewelry and those things but as we close, I know you kind of wanted to touch on maybe how this has really been important for you in your life. So understand your value as a woman in the body of Christ and maybe not feeling that early on in your life and how that's really transformed your journey with
1: following Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess like personal, I feel like sometimes personal anecdote can be helpful or unhelpful but for me like so I was born in China in the 90s and in that point in time there was a one child policy so typically males were preferred over females in that culture and so usually the women or the girls were like either abandoned or aborted or or whatever and so I feel like that was probably the case for me um and then moving to Utah, I feel like that's a very kind of, like, patriarchal society, and so I feel like for the longest time, I, like, wrestled with my femininity, and, like, I didn't want it, but I, like, I was, like, I'll just make a way for, like, it to work for me, and so I feel like I tried to be more masculine, and, like, that didn't really work, and I feel like it wasn't until I don't know like Jesus had to like speak in to my femininity and like bless that for me and like heal that that I felt like at peace about it and so I don't know at the end of the day it's like Jesus wants to bless women he like has designed women to be women like women are amazing and I think that like there are so many instances in like different cultural contexts for women don't get the honor that like the Lord bestows on them and so I think that like as believers we should be like the first to honor people in the same way that God does and so I think that like even just from my story I feel like the way that the Lord has healed like me as a woman I feel like you know I want other women to find that and I want women to like know that the Lord values them highly and yeah, I think that, like, even just my story of, like, you know, being in an orphanage in China, and, like, coming here, that just shows, like, Jesus's hand over me, and I feel like that in itself is, like, a display of, like, the gospel, like, I got adopted to this part of America that's, like, 0.05%, like, evangelical, and, like, and yeah, I was placed in a family where I, like, knew God, and so, I don't know, I feel like, compelled to share that and as a woman maybe that's not okay in some circles but I feel like yeah I don't know where I'm going with that anyway that's like kind of my take yeah. on that
0: yeah I think that's awesome to share your own journey throughout this and how it's impacted you and how understanding God's intention for you and value placed on you and love for you really has impacted the way that you you do ministry now and, and ministry in your personal life ministry in the sense that you work for a church in all areas of that because i think that's why this is important because if we show women that god values them and we act the way that god has instructed us to and follow jesus's example towards women then it changes the way that they show up in these spaces and the ways that they understand god's character and understand what god's what god thinks of women so i think that's really really important to share and i think It's wild that this is, this really is a conversation that that people have, or I think rather are not having, but it's kind of going on in the back of people's minds or kind of being portrayed one way or another in the way that they do church or that they do their families or um, different elements in the body of Christ. And so I think it's important to discuss and just clarify, yes, women are absolutely equal and necessary, whatever your opinions are on them, but also... Just for people to know, you are equally as necessary. I remember the first time, I'm sure I've heard that before, but the first time I guess it really stuck with me, I was listening to a podcast called Love Thy Neighborhood, and they did three episodes. I want to say it's early 2021, if you want to go back and listen. They were really good. It was one on biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, and uh, transgender issues. And the one on biblical womanhood, I know Jamie Ivey and maybe one of their hosts, Rachel Zabo, maybe we're having a conversation about it. And they just had said at one point that women are necessary for the body of Christ. They're just like a necessary part of it. And for some reason, that just was overwhelming to me to hear that.
1: Wait, wait really,
0: though? Like, we, we are? Because I know that that's true. I know that i equally is valuable. But we're necessary? Like, they couldn't be a thing without us. That's what necessary means. We're an integral part of this. That's, that's just as important as the other half of the people showing up as the men. And so I hope that this is a conversation that encourages people. And again, just just get into your Bible and look at these issues, because another thing I think is tempting to do is to look at maybe teachers or pastors or people that we place high value on that we really respect, which isn't wrong in any sense, but we want to pick up the first book that they've written or listen to the first sermon that we hear from them and just agree with everything across the board, because we really like those leaders and we really trust them. And so I hope that this encourages people to use those resources and build your own strong opinions about these topics um, based on scripture and strengthened by scripture and the Holy Spirit guiding you through that. But don't just, we don't want to just agree with the first person we hear because we like what they're saying. We want to keep doing that before we ask God to expose our, our innermost desires and lead us towards him more and more. Amen. And that passage, uh, there is no First Corinthians 18, it's First Corinthians 8, and um, Paul's talking about food, sacrifices to idols, and those different topics about being unified in those different areas, which is also a super fascinating passage to dig into. So, all right, well, thank you for talking with me today about this. Sorry we had so many glitches along the way.
1: Oh, you're good. Um, There is one thing I just wanted to say before we close. Yeah. Just, as we were talking, I realized I messed up the four Ds. Uh, debate comes before, de- or sorry, debate comes last. And I think I had switched debate and decide. But what's the order? It's die? Die, divide, decide, and then debate. So debate would be like, did Adam have a belly button? Okay, okay. Yeah. I wanted to like clarify because I didn't want anybody to run with that and like have those flipped. (laughs) We're
0: over. Adam didn't have a belly button. No, that's really good. I love that so much. I really like that. That's a really good, a really good little mantra to have in your mind as you work through these things. So good. And just, I mean, our conversation is not to tell you what to think, but to tell you to go figure out what you think. So look up these resources, read the books. Get an award. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kylie.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm honored. I don't feel like qualified to talk about this necessarily, but I can share from what I know. I love it. Well, thanks so much.